Quest Community Church, living life as friends with faith through knowing God, loving others, and making a difference. Morning. How are you today? Yeah, I came to church this morning and Gary Payne greeted me with a reminder of my heritage. He said, welcome to a beautiful spring day in Minnesota. Except it's not Minnesota, is it, anymore? It's Ohio. We're supposed to have better weather than this, right? It's supposed to be nice. Thank you for coming out and braving the elements today. Uh, marriage, we're still talking about today in our series, is uh, one of those things that can bring lots of joy. It can bring lots of difficulty, and it can bring lots of laughter. And we're going to start out again today with some laughter about some things that we often, uh, all of us probably a little bit too close to home, say things that... Uh, to insert our foot in our mouth and require some repair to the relationship. So enjoy comedian uh, Tim Hawkins as he gives us uh, one of his original songs. I did the choreography myself. Hey, honey, have you gained some weight in your rear end? The dress you wear reminds me of my old girlfriend. And where'd you get those shoes? I think they're pretty lame. Would you stop talking cuz I'm trying to watch the game? If you're a man who wants to live a long and happy life, these are the things you don't say to your wife. I planned a hunting trip next week on your birthday. I didn't ask you, but I knew it'd be okay. Go make some dinner while I watch this fishing show. I taped it over our old wedding video. If you're a man who's done that, a long and happy life, there's all the pursuits to Solo. Okay. Your cooking is okay, but not like mother makes. The diamond in the ring I bought you is a fake. Your eyes look puppy, dear. Are you feeling ill? Happy anniversary, I bought you a treadmill. If <laughs> you're a man who wants to live a long and happy life, that too. These are the things you don't say to If you're a man who doesn't want to get killed with a knife, these are the things you don't say to Okay, how many of those of you said you're... No, don't raise your hands. We say things sometimes that are just silly, stupid. We don't even think about them to get us in trouble. Uh, You know, some of you are here today and you're in a great place in your marriage. And some of you are here today and you're in a kind of mediocre place. And some of you are probably here today and you're not in a very good place in your marriage. You're probably in this cycle where you're a little bit discouraged, where you're in a cycle of blaming and attacking and then accusing and then disengaging and waiting in the silence for the next blow-up to happen. And uh, whether you're in a good place or a difficult place today, the reality is we all will hurt each other with our words and with our actions at some point, probably on a very regular basis, unfortunately. And as we talk about and continue our series today, Staying Engaged, we're talking about how we have healthy relationships, and we're looking specifically through the lens of how the Bible talks about the closest relationship of all, and that is marriage. And I think we'd be remiss if we didn't spend at least one whole message, which we're going to do today, on the idea of how do we repent? 
How do we ask forgiveness? And how do we rebuild trust when we do those things that sometimes we do them intentionally, sometimes we just do them stupidly that cause problems in our marriage? And we're talking today about the third commitment we've asked you to make to a healthy relationship. And that third commitment is this, the habit of turning toward one another. Because studies have repeatedly shown that happiness or unhappiness in your marriage has nothing to do with conflict, but it has everything to do with how well you turn towards each other regardless of what's going on in your marriage. And what I love about that image of turning together, turning toward one another is simply this. It actually uh, lines up with a, a really key word in the Bible. The word repentance in the Bible is actually a word taken, uh, it's a very picture-oriented word. It is actually the image of turning around or turning towards someone. Um, and it's just this, it's just this beautiful word. Jeremy actually in, in his message on Jonah defined it this way. Repentance is turning toward God's love, knowing we've sinned, knowing we've messed up, and yet we turn toward God and receive his love. And we, uh, the better we learn to also to turn towards him, but also to turn towards each other and receive each other's love, receive each other's forgiveness and give that kind of forgiveness and learn to rebuild trust, the stronger and healthier our marriages will be. In preparation for this uh, message, I was reading a story. Uh, a real story about a pastor's wife who one day came down with this uh, severely painful venereal disease. And yet it took, another, it took almost another year for her husband to finally admit to his adulteries and even begin to deal with that marriage. How do you, how do you forgive that? What does forgiveness look like and mean in a situation like, like that? What does it feel like in that situation? And yet... For all of us, the reality is we don't have to have something that severe in our life for us to have to wrestle with forgiveness at a deep level. All we have to have is a few years of somebody's annoying habits that we're living to, kind of like living with, kind of like this cartoon portrays. Uh, he left the toilet seat up again, right? I mean, I mean, all we have to have is a few years of, 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 hey, honey, could you just not throw your dirty clothes on the chair? And, 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 and you're listening to that and you're going, well, I've been throwing the clothes on my chair since I was a little boy. This is a pretty ingrained habit and so you forget you you say yeah i won't and then you forget and you do it again and then and then they ask again and then you do it again and they ask again and do it again and eventually all of a sudden this little inane issue becomes this big thing that says if you really cared about my feelings if you really valued me and loved me you would listen to this isn't that why that we so often argue vehemently about little stupid things like squeezing how we squeeze the toothpaste is because it begins to carry these messages that you don't really care about me. You don't care about my wants and my desires. And it puts a barrier in our relationship. And you feel, as the person being offended, you feel uncared for, but your spouse at the same time probably feels demeaned and feels controlled. And, and if they really love me, they would grant this simple request. Just put the clothes in the hamper. Just stop leaving your shoes in the middle of the floor. Just don't lick the ice cream in the apple pie bowl in front of me when you finish to get the last drop out of it, right? Yeah. Please don't. Yeah. So... From really big things to really little things, forgiveness is hard. It's hard work. For you, when's the last time that you asked somebody to forgive you? And when's the last time you gave forgiveness? Forgiveness is also one of those 
uh, things that inspires story after story, isn't it? It's something we all admire and we all love. From the story of Hosea, which we mentioned a few weeks ago, that I know some of you went home and read that and it really touched you And reading that again. And for, to the story of the movie Unbroken, where the priest says to Zamperini in the, in, the, in, the, in the POW camp, he says, Christ forgives. And years later, after he's been survived the prison camp and all the, tr- the beatings, and he's, and he's survived PTSD, uh, although it almost ruined his marriage, he, he encounters Christ and, and, and receives forgiveness, and it completely changes him. It saves his marriage, and it, and it even takes him to the point where he forgives those who abused him. Even to the story of the pastor's wife I mentioned earlier who walked out forgiving her husband and it was received and their marriage is still together and in a stronger place than it's ever been before. And even to the inspiring story of Jesus' forgiveness for us, even in our core verse, Ephesians 5, that reads this way. It says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. And we see this amazing picture of forgiveness, washing clean, holding blameless. And it's a command that God gives to each one of us to live out, to be like him, especially he's giving it in the context of our marriage, which leads, I think, uh, what I think leads Gary Thomas in his book, Sacred Marriage, to assert this. He says, one main purpose of marriage is to truly teach us how to forgive. Now, how many was that on your top 10 list of why you wanted to be married someday? to learn how to forgive. It wasn't, right? But yet it's foundational for marriage. It's foundational for our hearts and our marriage to bloom unhindered by what can be hardness of heart or distance or or mediocrity and disengagement. Um, There's a a, a documentary out there called Shoah. It's a documentary of from the Holocaust to the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising. And in it, it shows one survivor being interviewed, and the survivor says this. They say, if you could lick my heart, it would poison you. Isn't that a powerful picture? And yet, we can experience that in our marriages, can't we? We have some marriages that we know of that if you could lick their heart, it would poison you, or some relationships. We want to live differently. But forgiveness is hard work. Repentance and learning to walk this out is something, a habit that we learn. And if we don't understand it and we don't live it out, we actually don't even understand the gospel. So the question is this, how do we love by learning to live a life of repentance and giving and receiving and walking out forgiveness? It's a big topic. We're going to deal with it in one one message today. So we're going to look at it through four questions. First question is, who needs to repent? Second question is going to be, how do we repent and ask forgiveness? The third question is, how do we give forgiveness? And the fourth question is, how do we walk into the forgiveness and reconciliation or the rebuilding of trust that's destroyed from the event? So the first question, who needs to repent? Ah, well, that seems like a stupid question, right? I mean, if you offended me, you need to repent, right? Certainly, we get that. But, But stopping there misses the entire point of what Paul's teaching us in the passage you just read. Because Ephesians 5 tells us um, what forgiveness is like about Christ who gave himself up for the church. 
Um, and our marriages get to reflect that same gospel message on a daily basis. Because the gospel can be seen like in a circle. You know, we have a, when we accept Jesus, when we want to follow him, we have harmony, we have relationship, connection. But then we choose to have, by our will, to do something that puts what we want over relationship, and we have a disconnect. We can have hurt or anger. There's estrangement. And then we have God who reaches out to us even when we don't want it and wants to bring us back in relationship with him forgiving. He turns the first place toward us. And we get to practice that process in our marriage because God, in that process of bringing us back into harmony with him, he has every right to be offended, every right to walk away. But he, he's the one that took it all and consistently says, I want you. So when we walk it out in our marriage, we can see that we have maybe harmony in our relationship, but then one of us chooses to put our will, what we want to do, over that relationship, and we get that disconnect, um, an estrangement. And so which one of us is going to try to turn toward each other to try to bring that gospel message and bring that harmony back into it? So let me ask you, how often have you heard this statement? I can't forgive that person until they ask for forgiveness. Now, let's contrast that to what, what, what Wendy just said. God initiates forgiveness with us even when we don't ask. Why would God do that? Why would God do that? Because, see, we think about forgiveness that by demanding an apology before granting forgiveness, that we think we're actually helping uh, that individual own their behavior and bring about real change for them, right? And, and obviously, we, we understand that for real change to happen, a person has to own their stuff, right? We understand that. That's, that's a truth that all of us can agree on. They have to, they have to really know what they did and, and, and how it affected us. And unless they really know that and own that, they can't really come to, to full change, right? And that's true. We get that. But here's the problem. When we think like that, underneath that truth, there's often a motivation in our heart contrary to forgiveness and the gospel. See, what we often really want is we want the person to realize the rules they broke. We want them to own up to the rules they broke. And we want them to live up to the rules they broke, right? And frankly, our decision a lot of times not to forgive until they've asked for it is really our way of making them pay for it, right? And none of us should wish that anyone would have to pay for their sin. Because the Bible says that all of us have trampled on God's glory and, and, and been in his face and disagreed with him and hurt and sinned against other people so much that all of us rightly deserve death. And yet we still think that by the law, by knowing the rules, by helping them understand the rules that they broke and really own that, that it brings people to repentance and it brings them to change and it sets things right. But listen to what Romans 3.20 says about that. It says, therefore, no one will be declared righteous. In other words, no one will be able to change and set things right. In God's sight, it goes on, by the works of the law, by simply understanding or owning up or living up to the rules they broke, it doesn't make the relationship right. It just does what? The text goes on and says, it says what it does. It says, rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. 
through just owning up to the rules, we just become more aware. We feel more guilty. It adds weight to the brokenness of our conscious psyche. It does not bring real change in and of itself. And yet one of the conundrums we have in life is that we, we know this to be true because we've experienced that weight on us and, on a, and feeling that inability to change in the past as well. And yet we still want the person to feel weight and own it and then forgive them. But when we do that, we fall into a trap of undermining the motivation and the ability that God wants to put in the situation to bring change. And it's, it's what we talked about briefly. We're going to look at more today from one chapter earlier in Romans 2. Romans 2 reads this. It says, Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things. Now let's pause there. Those who do such things. Paul just got done listing a whole slew of a, a, a category of about every sin you can think of in the world. So what I want you to do as we're reading this, I want you to think about those things, those things that your spouse or the person you're angry with has offended you over. And when we say such things, just put that in there, whether it's adultery or lying or some other thing that broke trust or, or just being mean to you whatever, I don't know. So so now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them, and yet you do the same things, you still sin, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or, and I think it's appropriate to add here, or when you demand they own up and live up before forgiving them, do you show contempt? For the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. See, the question is, what softens a hard, protected heart and motivates the heart to turn towards relationship more than anything and allows it to change? God's saying here it's kindness. And see, we we get that. I mean, uh, even in preparation for this, I ran into the story of, of, of Gary Ridgway. Gary Ridgway is better known as the Green River serial killer. He was convicted of his crimes, of 49 of his crimes, in 2003. But before he was sentenced, all the families got a chance to uh, say how his crime had devastated their lives. And I mean, can you imagine? 49 people killed by a serial killer, their families talking to him. There was The room was full of every emotion of hate and anger and loss and grief that you could imagine. And Ridgway sat through the whole thing, looking at all of the families, stone-faced. No emotion, no reaction, just hardness. Until one man, Robert Rule, walked up to the podium. He was the white-haired father of one of the teenage victims. And he stepped to the mic and he calmly said, And clearly said, you can see this on YouTube. We're not showing it because we couldn't do it legally here today. But uh, you can see it on YouTube. He said, Mr. Ridgway, there are people here who hate you. I'm not one of them. You've made it difficult to live up to what I believe. And that is what God says to do. And that's to forgive. And then he looked him in the eye and he said, you are forgiven, sir. It was the only time in the whole court proceedings that Ridgway melted in tears. For a moment, even that power of forgiveness could melt a serial killer's heart with the kindness and create a softness, even a hint of a desire to change. That kind of kindness and forgiveness 
when we give it to one another is gives us the most powerful opportunity for change on the face of the planet. So the question, who needs to repent, turn towards each other? It's both the offender and the one offended. See, Jesus says in life and in marriage, just like I did, he said, would you turn toward one another? Would you pursue? If you've been the one offended, would you take the first step to offer the kindness of forgiveness? And if you are the one who offended, would you take the first step and turn towards the relationship and ask for forgiveness? Because that initial action is the action that cleanses. It's the action that restores harmony. It's the action that frees us and motivates change that allows us to be follow, to follow the work of the Holy Spirit in perfecting our lives. So the second question is, how do we repent and ask for forgiveness? I mean, one of the best examples that we have from the Bible of how to do repentance is from Jesus' parable on the prodigal son. What do we have? We have the youngest son who takes his whole inheritance from his wealthy father. He squanders it in a foolish living until he's broke. And then he's without food. And then he does the lowest job that any Jew could do, and that's feeding the pigs. And he was so hungry that he even ate the pig's slop. So when he comes to his senses, he's like, I'm going to return to my father. What does he do? What does he say? Dad, I blew it all. But I realize now, like from psychology, that as a teenager, I need to individuate. I need to become more of myself. And in that process, you're going to make mistakes. And, you know, I'm past that phase now. And I'm sure you remember your rebellious days too, don't you? So how can we get back to that place where I was before I left? Was that the prodigal son's attitude at all? No, it's not. Because when we see in Luke 15, he says, um, the son says to his father, I have sinned against heaven and I have sinned against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And the father then cuts off his son before he could say what he had intended to say, which is, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. The son simply says, I've sinned against God. I've sinned against you. There's no excuses, no justifying. You know, I'm not going to make any demands that you receive me back with any kind of similar status. But I'm going to ask, can I start over? And can I build trust with you? And I'm going to take whatever you will give me if you'll give me anything. So real forgiveness and repentance means no excuses, no defenses. It's the key in asking and building trust. So let's say that you are going to apologize and you don't even think that your apology is going to be accepted. You still are responsible for doing your part, clearly, without excuse, without defense. So be specific about your sin. How did you go from harmony and choose yourself over the relationship? And what did that sin cost the other person? What did it cost them in pain and worry and tears? Whatever that cost is, try to identify it. An example could be, um, please forgive me for not getting home on time. I know we committed, and I committed to be home for dinners with the family, I realize when I'm late and I don't make it that I send a message that I don't care about you and I don't care about our family family, and it's not good when I promise and don't show up. It shows disrespect for your time, for your preparation. So forgive me for for failing to follow through on our commitment in showing my love to you and the kids. Repentance is not um, groveling. You know, it's not the prodigal son story. the, The father cuts him off. He doesn't allow him to grovel. The father turns toward the son and runs to him. And when we understand that gospel, repentance just becomes a normal part of your life as as it's intended to be. I don't know about you, it's hard for me to say, will you forgive me? In fact, I've been trying to do a little bit more often lately, um, telling Ross when I have been wrong and he's been right. I just hate to do that. Um, But it's been good to soften myself. But 
It's hard to say forgive me. And we see that resistance in this culture. I mean, when is the last time that you have seen a significant leader apologize publicly for something that they did wrong when they were caught red-handed and it wasn't just a PR thing that they had to do in order to save face or power? Apologies, they seem to be initiated from the outside and they're pressured. And apologies are only for really big, significant things. You know, um, we, our family watches NCIS and Gibbs, the leader there, he always has this quote, and, or a rule, and it's like, never apologize. It's a sign of weakness. You know, our culture sort of pushes that. Don't expose yourself too much. Don't be open because you could be ridiculed or attacked if you apologize. So put up a, a hard front, front. Don't let people know when you mess up. But that is so opposite of who God is because he says he draws near to us when we repent. Yeah. If that's how repentance works for the one who's offended, what about the one who experienced the offense? Why would that person need to, need to repent? It's simply this. Pain makes us turn away from people. It makes us turn away. The opposite of turning towards is turning away. And, and that's normal. I mean, we get that. We're all created with these nerve endings in our psyche that, that when we're wounded, when somebody treats us poorly, it, it makes us jump, just like our hand would jump from a hot burner and we'd take it away. And if we're not careful, though, we turn away and we end up becoming like Romans 2, where we put ourselves in the judgment seat of other people for the offended repentance also is the first step. Turning towards God and remembering. Remembering our own sin of hurting others and our own failure that we've had in our life. Remembering that we're no different than the other person. It's just a different set of sin tendencies. And so you turn to God to grieve the pain of your sin, their sin against you, and even just frankly, the world's sin. You see, our response so often in life when we're hurt is we, we question and we blame God or we blame other people. But repentance teaches us the first response should be turn to God to grieve with God, <clears throat> to grieve with God who is also grieving over the pain and the mess of the sin we all created. To join God in that grief. Unless you, as the one hurt, also turn to God and you grieve the state of your soul, you grieve the state of the other person's sin as well as just the, the generic sin in the world, you will hold a piece of yourself back in judgment. And what will happen is a bitter root will take place. Maybe imperceptibly at first, maybe real small, but that root grows into something that becomes more full of cynicism or more hardness of heart or more self-protection. You see, the root of bitterness can be something very simple when our spouse is rude and inconsiderate in one area of life, like we talked about earlier, constantly eating dirty dishes or something out on the ground, and, and eventually it becomes, you don't care for me, you don't really care about my needs and what my likes, and, my, and gradually that becomes an interpretive grid through which we view other actions and even other people. And we start to impose that negativity in other people. That bitter negative lens makes us suspicious of other people's motives. And this is how huge arguments over such small and silly, silly little things become a reality. And we all realize that, right? So the third question is, how do we give forgiveness? Acts 3.19 gives us a clue. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. So when we sin and we repent to God, our sins are wiped out. They're removed. Do we really do that with each other? When someone you care about hurts you, do you really wipe the, clay, the slate clean? Um, when someone has wronged you, 
they do owe you. They, they owe you a debt. But in forgiveness, the one who is offended absorbs the cost of that debt. You pay the price. You refuse to make them pay. You free them from that penalty for a sin by paying it for yourself. You soften your heart toward them. And that's how you move forward. Now, clearly and practically, you know, from a human law, you know, if we break, if something is broken, a human law is broken or there's injury, you can't instantly just remove the legal consequences. There are some actual physical and psychological consequences. But you can restore the relationship and make the relationship clean. Let's have a fresh start. Um, we, we might say, well, that's just unfair. Why do I have to bear the pain of someone who wronged and hurt me? Why did they get off scot-free? But it's the love that Jesus gave to us. It's the love that he commanded to give us to our spouse in Ephesians 5 that we talked about. And in Ephesians 4, it talks about forgive others just as Christ forgave you. I mean, we're told that God doesn't remember our sins, right? Does that mean that he literally just forgets all the messed up things that we've done? Or does it mean like he sends them away? He sends away that penalty for our sin and he doesn't bring that incident to our mind um, and he doesn't let the things that we've screwed up in the past affect how he deals with us now. They are gone. Because when Jesus was on the cross, what did he say? It is finished. And it means that our sin has been paid for full. He has absorbed the entire cost of it himself. And we can see the difference between a Christian and a person who's just religious by how they understand forgiveness. A Christian sees sin, they repent, and they feel closer to God. Somebody who's just religious, they see sin, they repent, and they feel farther away from God. Um, because a religious person, they repent and they, their relationship with God is based more upon what they can do, what they can earn. Whereas a Christian, we know that there's nothing that we could ever do to earn God's love. It's his gift, it's his grace. And so in marriage, we keep trying to live that same gospel that God does to us in our own relationships, returning to that harmony. Yeah, it's true, isn't it? And we don't like it that if you forgive, you as the person who is offended, you're the one who bears the pain. You're the one who takes it on yourself rather than make them pay for it. And that doesn't feel right. That doesn't feel natural. What feels more natural to us is to remind our spouse of the wrongs so they won't do it again. We don't want to let them off scot-free because we feel like that's too cheap and it won't make a lasting difference. So we remind them, you know, the next time something similar comes up, we, we may give them the cold shoulder for a few hours or a few days or a few weeks until we feel like they've taken it seriously enough. We may withhold affection or sex. We may stop doing even the routine kindnesses and making them a cup of coffee, saying please and thank you and acknowledging those types of things. We may make on a severe end, we may make veiled threats or maybe explicit threats about ending the marriage or we make jokes about them with a barb intended just to let them know that we haven't forgotten and things aren't really okay yet. But the forgiveness Jesus calls us to is an unnatural decision to forgive without any personal consequences from me. It is a renewed commitment to join God in his process of making them into their new true self, restoring them to how good he originally created them to be. It's the kind of forgiveness God calls us to, is this wipe the slate clean, no conditions involved kind of forgiveness for the relationship to be intact. But I can so relate to the pushback. I mean, I've heard... People say, like, I have a problem with this clean slate thing. I've been abused. I cannot wipe this clean because I have to have conditions on that forgiveness. 
because it's going to be foolish. If I, if I don't have some kind of place to give me safety, they're going to trample all over me. So I have to have conditions on my forgiveness. There is a big difference between forgiving someone and choosing to rebuild trust with them. Because you can forgive somebody. You can release them from that debt. We know from that, um, another uh, story that Jesus tells in, he tells Peter in Matthew 18 about the parable of the servant. And this servant is forgiven a huge debt, like 10,000 talents, which is like $300 million. But then that same servant doesn't forgive somebody else who owes him a couple bucks. And so then Jesus says to him, shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? I mean, that's our challenge. We compare our debt to God with others' debts to us. And we compare Christ and all that he paid for us and our forgiveness to pay for other people. So Jesus paid my debt. Do I have the right to make other people pay their debt to me? Um, but we're talking forgiveness is different than rebuilding trust. The speed and the degree to which you rebuild trust depends upon the severity of the offenses involved. When somebody repents, they need to really be willing to say, what is it going to take for you to trust me again? And being able to accept what the answer is. Like when I've worked with people who have had affairs, they'll, they'll say like, the, the whoever had the affair will say, well, they forgave me, so why are you like wanting to check my um, my my book, my cell phone, why do you need to know where I am all the time? Because forgiveness should mean that you should trust me. It's a whole different process. Rebuilding trust takes time. Um, so restoring trust happens in degrees. And it's not loving, and another point I'd like to say under that is it's not loving to let another person go about sinning you and doing wrong. Forgiveness does not mean that you don't confront issues, that you don't point out, that you don't have boundaries. In fact, sometimes when we take the easy way out by not confronting, that's self-serving. That's sinning too. We want to be able to confront our spouse, and it's not loving them to avoid it. The fourth and final question is, how do we walk into forgiveness and reconciling a relationship? How do we recreate trust? You know, it's always easier for me to learn through examples, so we thought that it might be helpful to give a personal example of how we, or mainly me, um, stumbled through a forgiveness process and how in that process of forgiveness we were trying to rebuild trust with one another. So um, we chose our most recent bigger conflict. Uh, it occur- occurred right after Christmas, and I'll call it the incident of the ridiculous cell phone cover, right? <laughs> um, oh, my goodness. So anyway, uh, it was we. my phone was broken, and we needed to get new phones, so Ross got some screen protectors for them, and I saw that he had done a good job of putting it on his phone. So I said to him, well, maybe I would like to have one on mine. So in my mind, I'm thinking, I'm still thinking about it. Maybe I do, maybe I don't. Um, I'm thinking about the possibility, should I do it? And, would I, and if I did want to do it, I'd want Ross to help me do it. So then I went off and I got ready because we were going to go to a big family event. We were going to go to see The Hobbit, and we were just really excited about that. So I go get ready, and I come downstairs. Everybody's ready to get out the door, and I look at my phone. And there's a screen cover on it with a big hair stuck in it and a couple air bubbles and some dirt. And I'm like, whoa. You know, like I'm, I'm already ramped up because, I mean, it's just after Christmas. And I don't know, we had already had some big decisions. So not excusing it, but I was like at this level. And um, I am um, in that process, like we had harmony. And I had to choose between my desire to vent and, the, and our relationship 
I did not do what we talked about last week, you know, watch your startup, make it soft, you know, 96% of the time, how you start a conversation will be how it ends. No, I completely chose to be selfish and I just vented, like, what happened to my phone? Who touched it? And what is this about? And um, Ross said, you know, you told me I could do it. And I'm like, we've known each other for 30 years and I have never said maybe means yes. But... So then the kids were there because we're trying to get out the door, and they all started agreeing with Ross, like, yeah, maybe does mean yes. And then I'm feeling like my whole family's against me, and then I'm like, I'm not wanting to go to this movie. And, and um, so um, anyway, but we want to go. So we go, we jump in the car. We thought we'll try to process this. We go in the car. Well, that didn't go very well either because all of a sudden it started throwing in a couple more issues on top of it of why, you know, I'm irrational all the time, blah, 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 or I don't know, all that, that came into that. It was not good communication yeah, on my part. Good. Let's so just put it at that. We <laughs> drive into the parking lot and we're supposed to get, you know, and this, I kept trying to say in my head, think big picture, Wendy, think big picture. Like, you know, this is a great time for your family. You could be enjoying each other. Now everybody's home from college. And, but I just was so not there. I couldn't do it. We get the, you know, we're driving and, um, but I mean, we're in the parking lot now and I'm saying, okay, Wendy, put it on the back burner. Let's just try to forgive each other and move forward. So I say, Ross, you know, please forgive me. I really went out of control. I was not, you know, it was my fault. I shouldn't have gotten so upset about the screen protector. Okay. It's 25 bucks, 25 bucks. Okay. So anyway, but then his response is he's going to ask for forgiveness. Now, remember he brought in a couple extra things into the pot. And um, he says, well, I'm sorry be- that you got so upset. Yeah. <laughs> like That's not the way you do it, guys. And I'm like, whoa. So that did not de-escalate <laughs> me whatsoever. Needless to say, we didn't make it. We're too. standing in the eastern par- eastern parking lot. Oh. I'm sure the I'm sure the video camera operators have a really good thing, and it'll probably be a really funny YouTube oh, video of uh, lip sync video, you know, coming well, out I soon. Would, I would like to see our kids' faces because they're having to sit there through the whole thing. I mean, those poor things. Anyway, so um, needless to say, we did not go to that time. We missed that that showing, and we had to go later, and we worked it out. But what that example brings out is how it triggered. You know, my overreaction was sinful. You know. And how could we try to get back to harmony? How could we try to reach toward each other? Because it pushed on two major perpetual issues. You know, last week we talked about like 69% of all of the issues that we have in our relationship are not ones that you can solve. They're just ones that you're going to navigate for the rest of your relationship. And how do we do that in a way that's more positive? Well, one of the issues that I have is, you know, that we have, our perpetual issue, is that Ross likes to make decisions quickly. And when he makes them, it's good. Move on. And I like screen protector, maybe, maybe not. I mean, he already bought it. So this decision is already two weeks old at the time of this argument. (laughs) I just like to take time with certain decisions. It's neither right or wrong. I mean, it can get irritating for sure, but it's a preference style, right? Ross wants me to be quicker with making decisions. I want him to back off. And the other thing is it also pulls into um, our perpetual issue of, like, I like details on certain things. I like them to be just a certain way. I like to think about it as... I appreciate beauty, you know. I like things symmetrical and, and nice. And um, anyway, it leads into my tendency to sin of becoming very perfectionistic and rigid. Ross, on the other hand, when we were in college, uh, he was, when we were in school... She was a 99% A person. I was a, get a 92, 90, 92, whatever the minimum was. A get an A and then we're good to go. Well, I think you got a B in you know, that psychology class. But I got anyway. a, oh, well, that was a pass-fail. I slept <laughs> through that one. <laughs> so anyway... The difference of our expectations, I'm detailed, sometimes oriented, can be um, high expectation standards with things that deal with me. 
Um, and Ross can be big picture, not really care about the details, not really see them. They're both a balance. I mean, he needs me when he does certain projects because I can see things that he doesn't see. I need him to help big picture. Like he has helped our kids. One of our kids has a very strong tendency like me for perfectionism. And he's even been willing to pay them to get a B or C at school. Um, which I'm like, ah, okay, that's okay. It's good because he's trying to help and be okay. And it's it to be comfortable with not having to have these high expectations. So anyway, needless to say, we, we have to be thoughtful of not wanting to, to just navigate more positively around those perpetual issues and to feel like we're both on the same side again because we both want to change. Like my way really is the right way. You really should do it this way and, and vice versa. So it took a while. I mean, it, I don't think it happened that day for sure. In fact, it started coming up yesterday again too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so it's a perpetual issue. Right. And so how we do that and how we turn toward each other is very, very important. Um, and so owning that is very, very important. Like, you know, 95% of that issue at first was, was mine. And it would have been easier if Ross would have said, okay, rather than us going so long on it, maybe have said, you know, I'm sorry that I didn't understand. I'm not sure you, you own that. You need to own that much percentage. <laughs> not 95? Well, okay. But then if he would have said something when I went off the handle for him to say, you know what, I'm really sorry that I misunderstood about the screen protector. I didn't know that you didn't want me to do it. That would have helped me chill a little bit down. I still would have probably wanted to vent anyway. But anyway, I'll get better. We'll get better. Um, but we wanted to leave you with a few practical tips on how to walk it out because that's just how I, I roll. I've got to figure out, like, what are some steps? How can I walk it out? Because how we do forgiveness is going to build trust, going to bring reconciliation. Number one, there is a huge difference between giving and feeling. Because you can give forgiveness and not feel it. Because forgiveness is primarily a set of actions. And it's, it is not forcing us to feel any... Um, it doesn't want us to deny our feelings, it's a, but it's a choice. We're going to turn toward God. We're going to turn toward others to try to bring that harmony. And the feelings can come later. Like, so in that parking lot, I was having a hard time forgiving and trying to, to let go. And I, you can't wait for that emotion to come. A second thing I would say is time does not heal all wounds. Time is just more likely to cause us to bury those feelings and it results in bitterness and closing off parts of ourselves um, and that we can't have access to healing. So it's important to grieve the feelings that come when we've hurt each other. And we do that, already, you touch base on it, we um, do it through prayer, journaling, talking to safe people. Um, we don't want to avoid those feelings. We don't want to grieve them. It's important to know what the cost of someone's sin did to you. That's a part of that process. And the third one, I would watch for signs that you might be withholding forgiveness. Sometimes we're not aware of the ways that we want to make other people pay for their sin. And so I'm going to ask a few questions, and you see if it strikes a chord in any of you on your process of forgiveness. Do I still make cutting remarks to them and continue to drag out the past? Am I more demanding and controlling of them than I am with others because I feel like they owe me still? Do I avoid them? Am I cold to them in both direct or subtle ways? Do I run them down or belittle them in some ways to others, sometimes in the guise of seeking sympathy or support when I'm sharing some hurt? Do I replay those tapes in my head of what they did to me to justify my anger? Do I root for them to fail? Do I want them to experience pain? Be some good questions to ask, to let, let God touch. Number four, when you ask for forgiveness, ask clearly. Remember the prodigal son? No excuses, no defense. Admit you're part of the wrong. 
Like, you might be in a disagreement, and really, it might only be like 5%, 10%, 20%, 30%, maybe 80%. You confess your part without blaming or shifting, um, blame shifting or excuses. Even if the other person thinks that you carried more weight, like maybe, you know, 50%, uh, you don't have to own that, Pete. You don't have to let them know that you only did 5%. Um, You describe the part of the mess that you are responsible for. Make no excuses. Don't explain it away. Um, There are factors that affected my choice to vent and to be sinful. Um, It was my selfishness. Was you know there are some factors, but it was my selfishness, my insensitivity that was the real cause. People can open the door, but you're the one that chooses to sin. Be willing to listen to what your wrong cost the other person. We mentioned this already, but boy, it can't be repeated enough. If you ever notice that you want to say, please forgive me, or I'm sorry, and you just try to get over with, a quick or an analytical I'm sorry says to the other person what? That they don't really want to listen to how they've hurt you or what the consequences of it is. So make sure that you are going to be willing to listen to what it really costs them. And, you know, for Ross to listen to, like, I have to look every day at the hairs and the dirt in my screen protector. So sorry. Yeah, I'll need to get a new one. Anyway, or it can be a reminder for me to not be so rigid. Anyway, but really be very thoughtful about listening and hearing what did your behavior cost them. And be willing to make the changes. Now, this is very important. Repentance means that you are going to be willing to change. What are the things and the behaviors that you can do that are going to ensure or try to help that this issue doesn't happen again? Because if you're not willing to change, you're not willing to repent. And the last one that has been surprisingly hard for us to do, I've been really surprised at it, is just praying together on a more consistent basis when we're in conflict. And that could be at the very beginning, like when you, when, you, know, you, you, you make that choice, like I'm going to choose my desires over the relationship. Or it can be you know, further into it when you're more angry. You can just stop and pause, like, God, we just really need your help right now. Or it could be more toward the end. But at any point, let him in. It makes a huge difference. Yeah, I think one of the one of the biggest differences uh, that we when we know we've forgiven well, and we're not holding stuff over them is in this trust building side of things, uh, because if we haven't forgiven well, then these trust building come this trust building stuff comes across as demands. I'm holding you at a distance until you can get this right. But if we've forgiven well, that conversation between us becomes more of, um, I really hurt you. Or you really hurt me, and you got to realize that wound is still there. Can you help care for that? It puts you on the same team in that trust building rather than putting a distance with them when we've learned to forgive well. We're going to close today. Uh, there's a quote by Ruth Graham Bell, daughter of Billy Graham. She says this. She says, a good marriage is the union of two forgivers. And as we close today, we're going to celebrate communion because I can't think of a better way to close this message, uh, the fact that it is the, that Jesus commands us to remember, to remember, to spend time remembering what he did, to spend time remembering the, the, the price he paid for our sin, my sin, your sin, all of our sin, to, to be aware and grieve the high price of that sin, and, and also, also to value and soak in the beauty of the fact that the slate is wiped clean. That's what he's offered to us. That's what he's given to us. 
And we have to have both of those things. I think that's the beauty of this remembering thing. For some of you, maybe as we've been talking, you've been realizing, yeah, I've been using some of these really bad communication things. I've been, I've been resentful. I've got some bitterness I've got to deal with. Uh, just come. Even if you're not ready to have that big conversation with your spouse or the person in your life you need to have that conversation with, just come and just celebrate communion and say, God, I realize this is sin. I don't know how to yet actually walk this out fully. I got to think a little bit more about it, pray a little bit more about it, but I want you to come and help me live this forgiveness thing. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that your spirit would come right now and uh, the thoughts that have popped up in our minds as we've been talking today, the ones that you want us to pay attention to, the ones that you want us to own, the areas of forgiveness, the areas of bitterness. Lord, would your spirit just come now and touch those areas. And thank you that your, your intention in touching them is not to drive us away from you, but to allow us to draw near to you, to grieve the pain of it with you, not, not to feel separated. So draw near now, Lord, to us. And help us live this wonderful life of repentance and forgiveness, of turning towards you and turning towards one another and receiving your grace and your power and your healing. We welcome your spirit in Jesus' name. Just continue to worship and come and receive communion anytime as we continue to worship. Isn't that true? He loves you. He's wiped the slate clean for you. And he wants us to know the beauty of that in our own relationships and how healing and how powerful that can be in our marriages, in our friendships, in our work relationships, in all of our relationships. Thank you for listening. Join us at Quest as we walk with one another in friendship while discovering the reality and goodness of God together. For more information and service times, visit us online at gotoquest.org.